You're listening to The Dworkin Report, and I'm your host, Scott Dworkin. Today we have the amazing Reggie Hubbard on the pod. Reggie works for MoveOn.org, but he's also a yoga teacher and a spiritual leader whom I've had the honor of marching and protesting with. In fact, he and I were at an event in Washington, D.C. with Speaker Pelosi on the very night that Trump was impeached. Anyway, Reggie came here to talk about how we can get through these hard times with self-care and love. You can feel the inspiration coming from this interview. It really is worth the listen. So here it is, my interview with Reggie Hubbard. I'm here with Reggie Hubbard. He's the congressional liaison and D.C. strategist for MoveOn.org, one of the top progressive advocacy groups in America. Reggie is also a yoga teacher and a spiritual leader in both the progressive movement and the wellness industry. Reggie, thank you so much for joining me on this wonderful day. How are you? I'm good, man. Good to be with you, Scott. Blessings and best wishes. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. And, I, you know, I've done so many intense interviews uh, over the past year, not saying that this won't be intense. But, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I think that a, a, a leader like yourself is, is necessary, I guess, to start I, I want to get your opinion on everything going on maybe over the last week, maybe mm-hmm. Bob Woodward's revealing Trump's intentional lies about the coronavirus. Um, you know, what are, what are your thoughts and what's happened over the, the past week here? Yeah, so the one thing that I've been saying, and I even said this to the speaker last week, because um, I'm luckily and blessed to be able to brief her quite frequently, is that None of this is terribly surprising, right? So it's not a shock that the president knew that the coronavirus was as bad as it was. You know, the shock is that it came out. Um, You know, they've been doing they've been doing dirt since January 21st, 2017. Right. So they you know, they, they came out the box with the Muslim ban. And then, oh, what about DACA? So like they had been attacking um, our way of life and what we consider like decency and civil liberties and all those sorts of things for quite some time. The difference is that we now have the capability either through Mr. Woodward's journalism or through the oversight investigatory processes to bring some of this stuff to light. So I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit later. Like, you know, I was intimately involved in the impeachment process. And so we now have mechanisms to see some of the stuff but it'll be interesting uh, to see the overall damage that has taken place when this ends, right? So when the Trump era ends and then we can pull back the covers and be like, oh, you did that too, right? So I'm not surprised by that at all. Um, you know, the one thing I was surprised by is because, he, you know, Trump was like, he should have said something sooner. Yeah, you know, sure. But you shouldn't have said it. Ugh. Right. So I was surprised that his, at the way he sought to refute it, but I was not surprised that it happened. Right. It was, it was clear that he was caught off guard. I, I've always thought, like, we can imagine what we don't know, but I'd rather not. Uh, and right. and the real damage. And I think that's one of the things you, I, I we've talked about before. But like one of the real damages is going to be uncovering that and then having to tell the American people that this happened, you know, whether it's the. Things that in were our happening. name with our tax dollars. Right, right. And so, like, how, uh, in regards to, um, you know, there was that. And then also, he had he had this weird 
I don't know. This, I think it was an intense interaction, very powerful on the um, citizens' end. But Trump did a town hall, and I just, it just, his disconnection, and uh, it also, like, I think yesterday he, he went full anti Black Lives Matter. Um, yeah. You know, he, he's, he's really pushing for people to vote for him while attacking gigantic swaths of people that, uh, you know, assigning them as one thing. Like if you're black, your black lives matter. Blah, 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 blah. Like it, it, right. it just seems nonsense to me. Like, well, how do, how do, how do people read through that nonsense where he, he'll be this racist um, and then try and present himself as an advocate? Um, where does the truth lie? Yeah. So the truth lies for me in his intention. So here I go with my yoga stuff. Right. So, the intention behind everything that the president does is narcissistic self-interest with a nihilistic bent. Like that's been the consistent through line since he has been president specifically, but some might argue for the past 45 years, uh, no pun intended. But, um, you know, so the, the consistency and the truth is that he is doing and saying anything he can to convince people. I mean, lucky for us, he is pretty sloppy with respect to his lies right you know if, if he were a better liar i think we would be we would really be in a bad way but because he'll be like i'm fine i'm fine i'm fine oh i hate all black people you know what i mean or like you know or the 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 image that comes to mind is helsinki a couple years ago when he was quiet 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 and then i don't even remember what he said but i remember being like i was waiting for that right <laughs> Right. He was on good behavior, on good behavior, and then he just went way off the rails. So, like, I think the truth is narcissistic self-interest with the nihilistic bent, but also he'll go off the rails because he has no he has no self-control. I think the truth lies in that. And the other thing is that and we've seen this with the pandemic, like anything that he does is he'll say anything to get people to like him in order to get reelected. Right. So to be to be to be very to be very crass and explicit about it, he wants to get reelected. So he's going to say whatever he can to two things, I would say. He'll say whatever he can to get ears and he will try and sow and foment such discord and discontent um, to make things muddy. So people feel a bit um, either angry or otherwise confused. And he just uh, I think it, today he just authorized uh, 13 billion for Puerto Rico and aid money. For the hurricane from three years ago. I was going to say so late because you <laughs> found out Republicans are voted registered voters in Florida. Like I remember, as I'm sure you do too, Scott, when Mr. President played basketball, like he shot hoops with the toilet paper, right? He, he put his best Steph Curry impression with toilet paper after like the worst, <laughs> the worst hurricane in Puerto Rico's history. You're like trying to fake me out and do a fadeaway. Right. I mean, I did that with my socks or my drawers. When I was a kid, not as president in Puerto Rico after a hurricane. The craziness. For votes. Money for votes. I mean, right. it, it's it, and then he's touting it, too. Uh, I just I I don't know if many people will buy it, but it's uh, I feel bad for people who, who do. I just don't like it's kind of like great, great. But like, I don't applaud people for doing their job, especially when they show up late. But I, right. I mean, like, this is wonderful. But like, also in the back of my head, I'm like, 
is is he going to deliver? Like, is is this right. money actually going to go there? Like, is right. what like, he signed where actually? Where were you? Where were you in the um when we were fighting for this in 2017 and 2018? Where were you? Like, you know, I was involved in a lot of the advocacy, like for Puerto Rico in the Republican Senate in the Republican House when Paul Ryan was was the speaker. Right. Where were you then? Right. And we you were know, we were you, you were absent. And we were wondering. Like even during covering it, like they didn't even have power, and he's sitting there. Oh, they're fine. Well, the, and then he acted like they're not part of America, and it's right. just like. And now McConnell's sitting there today. Uh, Mitch McConnell sat there, and he 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 actually, I think he tweeted out the fact that well, if Democrats take control, then uh, they're going to turn uh, D.C. and uh, Puerto Rico into states, and then they're going to take over the the Supreme Court, and then and my response was like. Absolutely, all points. Yeah, and isn't that what you've been trying to do too? <laughs> yeah, right? that's like, like what, what you've done, and and it, that's what's hard is. So like, how how do, how are we able to unite when they've used such strong strong arm tactics? Like Dems take power. I feel as if we are going to just automatically use the same strong kind of tactics to get things back into order. But like, there's got to be that some sort of uniting bond because it, it it's just it can't be like this always i how do we how do yeah. I, this is a billion trillion dollar question how do we unite those gaps through a pandemic and a presidential either transition or re-election i we don't have to think about that but uh, right. uh how, how do we navigate this well i think part of it is that we need to have policymakers and conversations that are consistent with with where the majority of the American public is, right? So the paradigms that we thought, I mean, I'm speaking now more from the uh, time that I spent on the Bernie Sanders experience, where in 2015, if you were to talk about universal health care, or or you you name the progressive position, um, we were laughed at. Like When I joined Bernie's campaign in September 2015, um, Reggie, what are you doing? I was like, look, this guy's on this. I, I need to figure this out. Like These are my positions. This is what I think the, the country needs to look like. Mm-hmm. And so through that, we helped mainstream progressive ideals. And so there are a lot more people who think al- aligned with what we have to say than what they have to say. So I don't view it as strong arm tactics. I actually view it as speaking with the voice of the people as opposed to the, the voices of the, of the self-interested. Right. So I think part of it is narrative setting. So part of it is like, look, this isn't strong arm. Like y'all were the minority. Y'all were the 1% and you like basically exerted your will over the 99%. So this is just basically physics um, and just equanimity. Right. You know, I mean, things are balancing out as to the way they should be. Um, and if more people think this way, then in a representative democracy, then that's what it should be. So, you know, one of the things that is pretty egregious and disgusting about the Republican Party is that they have not sought to have any commonality. They keep tacking hard right, like hard right, like not even trying to come to the center. I mean, I don't agree with everything that um, Joe Biden has done with respect to some centrist policies. However, it did make me, because I used to be a former civics teacher, right? So there's a part of me that when I saw Kasich and some of these other folks, I was like, well, cool. Like, it's, it's good that we have found some commonality to have tough conversations about policy differences that need to impact all of us. So, like, we need to start having those conversations. So I think that the blessing, if it can be said this way, 
of the pandemic and the circumstance that we find ourselves in is that we have to find a new way to talk to each other, you know, on a very basic level, like as the pandemic shifts, like we have to learn how to reconnect. I, like I went to the store the other day, I go to a little natural market, not that far from where I, I live in Maryland. And um, me and this woman did this like do si -do because she was like, hey, I'm sorry. Like, I don't know how to act around people. And I was like, cool. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to be mad. You're four and a half feet away from me. Like, I'm not going to scream at you. Like, I got my mask on. You got your mask on. Like, so we at some level have to do that reorientation anyway, um, like from a like, like in terms of physicality. So why can't we consider what that looks like in other ways? That makes a, a lot of sense. Now, there's also a messaging. There's a lot of what I, I guess it would be traps. Uh, I'm not sure. sure. Um, it, it seems like the line of defund the police. I, I know that there's some people who, who say that mean that uh, right. verbatim. Uh, you know, d does he think that police departments need to be overhauled and focus on social and community policing and things like like it? it they're looking for gotcha. Give me like this. Right. We got him in the blah, blah. and then right. if he says defund the police. I don't think that he wins in many states. And so like how and he doesn't feel that way either. So uh, so with messaging, how is he able to, uh, I guess, make sure that the we all vote? Because um, because obviously um, there, there's going to be a lot of these different things like where he calls him Sleepy Biden and all these other <laughs> little the messaging propaganda or whatever. Right. Um, how, how do we get out of those traps? Because even even when it comes to Medicare for all, Green New Deal, like words uh, or, or whatnot, coming down to the general election, like these are buzzwords that could the voters that we need, they may not like that because it's been right. hammered home in a certain way. It has nothing to do with AOC or Bernie it has nothing to do. But like, sure. how, how do we how do we uh, beat that sort of trap where? We understand he has to talk in uh, more general terms to the public as he goes to debates, as he do does, you know, more front facing events. He can't be super, super duper progressive, I guess. Uh, uh, you know, that's the concern um, because he's not anyways. Right. Um, so how do you how do you get out of that kind of messaging trap um, if it if it is one? I know Trump uses that as a trap. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the two things I would say to that one is that, you know, sloganeering and propaganda are cousins, right? <laughs> right. So the president is like attuned to his propaganda, right? So if, if anyone watched, so I watched, I, I maybe, I don't know if you were on one of the calls where I said this, but I watched Mike Pence's speech in deep meditation. So I sat there cross-legged, eyes closed, and listened to his speech so I could hear what was being said, mm -hmm. right? And so he, the words that he used were, mainly Pavlovian, right? Like they were used to like get you to, like they were used to like solicit interest. I did something similar watching um, Biden's speech and, and, and Senator Harris's speech, and they sought to create nuance, right? They sought to like touch the heart. They sought to like inspire and get people to dream beyond our present circumstance. Um, I think that we have to figure out a way to draw that line. So how can you say things that inspire people? So there's two things. One is that you don't want to piss people off. You don't want to scare them. And how do you inspire people who are disinterested in the process? 
um, how do you get them to pay greater attention? So one thing I think is that you, there need to be more people like me um, and others just talking because for, for better or for worse, uh, hopefully for better, like I'm a trusted resource. Like I'm not like people, I'm not like super popular, but I'm an influencer, right? You know, I'm kind of low key, but that's, that's ending rapidly. <laughs> but like, I've been like low key for a while. And, but when I speak, people are like, oh my God, what'd that dude just say? So there are people like me who need to start speaking up more um, because like, I'll give you a perfect example. So I was on this one call where I looked progressives in the face and I was like, yo, if I hear one more time that Biden's not progressive enough for me, I'm not voting. If I hear that one more time, like I'm gonna come to your house and we're gonna have a conversation. I was like, because like, it's not about being more progressive. Like this is about right versus left. I mean, it's not right versus left. This is about right versus wrong. Right, right, right. Right. So, like, we need to get out of this. He's not progressive enough for me because the fate of the republic is at stake. Right. And, like, I didn't see none of y'all in Iowa in 2015 when I was, like, having hand warmers by myself trying to get people to these rallies. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, so, like, so I don't pull the OG card often, but I'm like, yo, ain't none of y'all as progressive as those of us that were in Barney 2015. Like, what's up with that? You know what I mean? So, like, I don't talk that way often, but I did to this one group because I was just like, 2020 is cute, but 2015 is, is, is about that life. Right. Right. So it's easy to be progressive now. It's kind of like, like progressive. It's like de jour, right? You know, mm -hmm. like, oh, my goodness, it's so awesome. Yeah. It wasn't that hot in 15 at all, mm -hmm. right? So that that's one thing I would say. The second thing I would say is that we can't be afraid to say what it is, right? You know, to some extent, and this is like part of the reason I think I've been successful in my teaching practice, which is kind of like mushroomed out of nowhere, is that, Scott, I speak from the heart, like 100%. And I think that resonates with people. Like I don't really pull punches and I don't really talk trash, right? I'm just like, so here's what I see, here's what I think. Right. What do you think? Right. And I think that resonates with people. So as opposed to me being, as opposed to me speaking not to piss you off or not to like flare you up, me saying my truth and then asking you what you think is a genuine interaction. And I think in some ways it's like casting aside that old, like me versus you as and it's creating like an environment of we that I think we got to figure out. Environment of we, I, I like that. Now, now one of the things uh, Trump does is intentionally wanting to cause chaos, fear, panic yeah. to try and trigger people's limbic systems via his gaslighting Total. or his lies yeah. um it still it still works on me i never wanted to normalize things so like things sure. things do still make me angry like I, I am still shocked i i like no matter what he does like i i will still genuinely be shocked it's not you know front or anything like i'll be like i can't believe he did this and then <laughs> it'll be somebody be like how are you not used to this and i'm like because i will never accept and i'll never let it normalize <laughs> But what are what are some things we can do to keep focused on the work and not get distracted by what he's doing or saying? Because again, this is that's going to be one of their major tactics. Is like, look over here. I'm saying this about racist stuff about this, or sexist stuff about this, or you know, what, whatever. When we need to focus on uh, winning back the Senate, holding the House, and, and winning the White House. I mean, I think you just articulated some of the talking points that I use and some of my personal remarks, but, but even private remarks where I have with um, whomever, where I'm so in 45 days now or so, um, th we have been dreaming for this moment since November 9th, 2016, right? So it is incumbent upon those of us who are in this game to stay focused on the moment that we've been waiting for, you know, 
elections are the imperfect tool in our imperfect system to get us closer towards our more perfect union, right? So rather than be like, I can't believe he said that, be like, I can believe it. And so here's what I say. I have the benefit of being black. And here's what I mean by that. When people are like, can you believe he said that racist stuff? I'm like, yeah, I can believe it. He's been doing that. He's been doing that for about 35, 40 years. You know what I'm saying? So of course he's going to be consistent. Like he's consistently racist and consistently a liar. Like lies are his native tongue. So got that. You know what I mean? So we have to not normalize it and what I've been encouraging folks to do also is rather than be afraid of what they might do, be inspired of, by what we will do. Right, I'll say that again. So rather than be afraid about what he might do, be inspired about what we will do. So when we put an end to this national nightmare, um, DACA recipients don't have to hide anymore. You know what I mean? Like we'll have a pandemic plan. Um, we'll have a way out of the economic crisis that has been exacerbated by the pandemic. Um, those things excite me, you know, that, that that's just the policy geek in me. Like the historian in me is that, you know, Kamala Harris will be the first black and South um, Asian woman um, in such a high office in our representative government. That matters, um, probably more poignantly than Barack Obama. Um, given the nature of just how women have been treated in this country, especially women of color. So like, I'm actually quite excited about that. I'm excited about the fact that um, they're so different from one another um, because that difference, both generationally and gender and all those other things, like exploring those differences kind of like teases out the special sauce of the American experiment, right? And so like, we've got to get so... Racism is part of the American special sauce as well, and let's not forget that. But the other part that is what binds us together as democratic-leaning and or progressive folks is that, like teasing out the differences that we share which bring us toward our common humanity and the common goals that we have for ourselves and one another. So I think that that dialectic, um, especially in the spirit of like, cleaning up from the mess that, that we're going to be left in, that's what excites me. So talking about, and this is what I've been doing on some of the organizing I've been doing. So not only am I like organizer for Move On and other progressive stuff, I've been organizing like yoga teachers as well. And so like, there's some people who are like, I can't be bothered. And I'm like, I'm the wrong guy to say that to. <laughs> right, so wrong guy. So like, I can come at you with like the Bhagavad Gita, you know, or like political discourse. Like, which way do you want it? But I say all that to say this, like, we need to talk about what excites us, right? Fear has a diminishing return. Inspiration, the return on that investment is incalculable. That's uh, inspiring words. <laughs> and I think, I think people are gonna, people are gonna need that. Um, you know, you, you had mentioned fear. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you is why do you think so many people are afraid of wearing masks? It seems like outright fear is why they're refusing. I'm not sure if they don't want to believe that the virus exists or, or whatnot. And my point in asking you that is is because it's so important. And uh, obviously I don't recommend anybody talk to anti-maskers in public or try and intervene in any way. Actually, the CDC recommends that you do not talk to people who are anti-mask um, about like At wearing all, right, a mask. Or, sure. Yeah, yeah. But, but, like uh, people in your family or that may not wear a mask or may not take it seriously for whatever reason. Um, like why, why do you think people 
don't want to wear masks and like what is the main problem around that right now like why aren't people wearing masks not everybody that is most yeah, i think i think there's i think there are two things one is that so here i majored in philosophy in college so like existential philosophy teaches me that people don't want to think that they're going to die right so like so very basically we don't want to be reminded of our mortality right so if i am surrounded by a pandemic which i can't see and I just, you know, it doesn't make sense to me. Like I wasn't a biologist. I didn't study pulmonology, right? So I don't understand these things. My natural inclination is to deny that it's even there. Whatever. It's not real. Whatever. That's basic psychology, right? So I, like, rather than be afraid, you, or rather than be like cowering afraid, the other side of that is bravado ignorant, Right. So if you don't want to think about your mortality and like all these numbers and scary things are around you, then you tend to not want to, you, you tend to want to dig in your heels on something. If everything is disintegrating in front of you that you held as normal, you dig in your heels on something. What's the one thing that you can control? The one thing that you can control is you can't tell it so, right? So like that that's one thing. So basic existential psychology means that I don't want to be reminded that I'm going to die someday and that this pandemic that I can't see can literally take my breath away. I don't want to think about that. And then when you've coupled in the fact that, you know, the president has done a good enough job at sowing discord and making this political that if you don't want to do it anyway and like you're rewarded by your ignorance. So that's the other part of it too, right? So like not only is your fear slash bravado being rewarded, like they're in a time where we're being pushed apart, like not wearing a mask for some people has become their fraternity. So rather than our common humanity and our common well-being being celebrated, this is to some extent a manifestation of toxic individualism that does not take into account our common humanity and our common well-being. So I, th I think those two things together um, have, have made it such. And so for people who don't want to deal with it, you can't change their minds, right? You know, that's what I'm, you know, you and I've talked about this before. Like, I wear prayer beads all the time. That's what, that's what these are for. It's just like, Lord, give them sense, right? You know, me and my brother joke about this often. Like, yo, you can't tempt fate. Like, biology always wins. The fates always win. I, and building on that, I, I'm white. Not sure if you could tell. We've hung out before <laughs> and we marched before. But like, what, what's the most effective way a white person like me with privilege uh, can help Black Lives Matter? Right. I appreciate the question. And I think I'm probably one of the most unique people to talk about that. And here, here's why I say that. So I grew up in an environment. Um, I grew up in the suburbs. Right. So I, I'm, I, I'm unapologetically black male. But I grew up in the burbs, right? You know, similar to you, I went to a 50-50 school. And um, so that's given me like the skill set of being able to talk to all people. So here's what I would say to people like you with that question. Like there are some things that you have access to that I do not, right? So for instance, if you see someone who needs to be amplified, um, they're saying some good stuff, um, give them opportunity to speak. Right. So use that. And this is what I said in a class um, to a couple weeks ago. So I taught this group of um, male yogic, yogically inclined men in um, Northern California, mostly white. And this one guy, tears in his eyes was saying, man, 
how do I help, man? Like, you know, I'm tired of feeling like on the outside of this, side of the other. So should I just give up my spot? I'm like, no, keep your spot and then get in touch with your inner Harriet Tubman or your inner underground railroad. So if you have a business and you want to do something, don't give up the business, keep your spot and then find subcontractors who look like me, right? Increase your hiring numbers with people who look like me who are qualified. And if you can't find people who are qualified, endow training programs to get them qualified, right? Because you have a business, you have access to capital, you have access to media, so, like, so whatever you have access to, use those in ways that empower other people as opposed to just like giving up, like, because black folks still can't get loans somewhere, you know what I mean? Black folks still can't get jobs somewhere, but if you are a, if whatever you have at your disposal, use it in the vein of helping other people and not just keeping it to yourself. So that's what I would say, like whatever you have that you're very good at or that you have in abundance, share with others. Um, whether it be time, you know, one of my friends called me recently. He was like, look, man, um, what do I do? And I, he's like, I, you know, I'm not the most political person. I was like, but you are a successful entrepreneur. So what you can do is go to the YMCA or go to like the um, quote unquote underserved part of your town. He lives in Toronto. I was like, so you can go to like underserved school districts and be like, hi, I would like to endow an entrepreneurial program so you can endow the program and you can give of your experience to these black and brown kids. And he's like, wow. I'm like, exactly. So don't be scared by people being like, you're doing this for blah, blah, blah. If you're, you know, if you have pure intention, who cares what other people say about you? Right. So who cares? So for him, he has done that. And as a matter of fact, I need to check in with him. I'm glad that we brought that up. But yeah, so use what you have at your disposal to benefit others. Don't just like give it up and be like, here, because people may not have the expertise, right? So why would you give up? And, and this is somewhat controversial, but not really. Hear me out on this. Like, why would you give up your network? Why would you give up your access? You can use that network. You can use that access to amplify, to inform to call, to create, to inspire, as opposed to just being like, oh, here you go. That doesn't make any sense. And that's also not sustainable long term because what ends up happening is that people get pissed and they feel like, and this is just basic psychology as well, people feel like something was taken from them um, and are less inclined to be of service when in fact, if you, have a, if you have abundance and give freely, you're more inclined to give more as opposed to if someone's trying to take it from you. And we, you know, on the, I guess, uh, uh, topic of protesting, uh, early this year we, we marched together for yep. Trump's removal. You know, we've, we uh, had five, two minutes to celebrate um, his impeachment, but, like, we didn't really celebrate. It's directly back to work immediately. Right. Uh, let's talk about the removal. Uh, there's been a, a, a lot of different protests that uh, – you've organized that I've helped organize like that we work together on um, Lafayette square uh, near the white house. Yeah. What are your yeah. thoughts on everything that's come out about it? Whether it's the helicopters that they intentionally t touch down things that they do during wartime to, to threaten uh, people on the ground. They did that in DC with helicopters. Um, they, uh, they thought about breaking out heat ray launchers like things that actually deter weapons of war basically that they right. did that they did use on the protesters and they did use 
force that could have been lethal, that has been lethal, obviously, in the past. Um, yeah. What is the deal with this escalation? Is it, is it meant to spark riots? Like, what, why why is he... Why is he trying to attack? Why is he attacking the American people? Like that, I guess, is the key question of that. Because he views himself as a monarch and not as a servant of the people. You know, one of the one of the things I love, and I actually know Joe Biden somewhat well. Um, he's a servant of the people. You know, Republicans want to get it twisted. He's been doing this for forty-seven years. Yeah, he's been in service for twenty-seven years. Like, I mean, probably forty-seven years, right? You know, he doesn't have like hella houses and all these other things. Like, he's kept meager wages. Um, still in service to the people, right? Donald Trump doesn't view himself as one of the people. Like, I watched his speech on um, the RNC. He was, like, leaning over the the, 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 the goose, like, I can't even deal, right? You know, like, he, exactly, right? So, like, he's leaning over the goose, like, he's, like, king, whatever. So he views himself as above the people, and he is not connected to the will of the people, um, of the majority, of, of where we're headed, whether it comes in 46 days or four years and 46 days, right? But, you know, I hope, hope, I'm quite confident it'll be 46 days. But the future is not his ideals. And anything that is nearing its end grabs and hangs on. You know, death is never easy, right? So that ideal, that skill, that, that ideal set is no, is no longer, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. Yesterday, um, I spoke to a friend of mine's course, um, high school course in San Diego, like San Diego um, High School for Performing Arts. Um, they have a civics class. And so she sent up this thing on Facebook, like, oh, my God, like one of my, one of my uh, guest speakers can't make it. Can someone spot my class? And so I'm like, you know, I used to teach civics. So I'm like, yo, I'll gladly do it. Right. I get a chance to talk to kids. Like, this is great. Um, because Scott, that's what empowers me. Right. Like, so inspiring youth is like my, like my thing. Like, it, it totally, that's the thing that fills my cup. And so I talked to these kids and basically I was like, look here, like your job is to change the world, you know, what I don't need you don't need me to tell you the things suck right now. You need me to tell you to reimagine how they can be better. And that lit them up like, you know, the teacher sent me some of the notes, uh, I guess. Well, first of all, how many adults like come talk to kids with like a Kango and prayer beads? Right. And, you know, looking like LL Cool J's cousin and stuff. But like but I kept it I kept it real with them and was like, look, things are kind of whack right now. But like if you get inspired and you tell other people and I tell other people and we create this virtual cycle of inspiration, that's where we're headed. Where we are is not where we need to be. So that is where we're headed. And that's scared. I would be scared if I if I built my entire life story on some on a myth that was never awesome in the first place and it starts to crumble. That would terrify me. So that's why I think he does that. Like, you know, whether it be um, the platitudes that he uses, like, I mean, <laughs> when he said, hey, what's the name of this thing behind me? The White House. That was the most racist thing, like, blatantly. It's like, come on, man. Like, th that, that, that's a dying paradigm, homie. Right. You know, it, it, at least update your racism. Right. Like at least like the White House. That's like nanny, nanny, boo boo type stuff. Like, come on, man. Like, get over it. Like that's Ella. Like, 
change your game, right? We're changing our game. We're evolving. They need to evolve too. So one of the things that I said in, in, in conclusion on the question, a few weeks ago for some of my yoga work, instead of saying revolution, you know, in the progressive spaces, talk about revolution this, revolution that. Bernie said, let's go to revolution, right? So there's revolution all over the place. I think we need to have a re-evolution, right? So not a violent anything. Like, we need to raise our game, right? We, like, the paradigm, we need, like, America 2.0 or America 3.0, right? We need a complete shift. You know, we need a software upgrade, right? you know, a new operating system. We don't need, like, patches. Like, revolution is, like, patches. Re-evolution is a completely different operating system. Can you tell I was a software geek? <laughs> Build the America that we say we are. Right. And, and that we or that we hope to be um, or closer in line with what we say we want to be. Right? Yeah. 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 I mean, not this whatever, whatever this is, uh, you know, obviously it's going to be crucial for people to vote. Um, uh, one one of the last questions here. Uh, how do you think people can what's the safest way that people can vote based on the you know what's happening right now? Um, is there is there. Uh, a way that they can not only vote but also help out um, without endangering themselves, you know, because I, I know a lot of people who won't knock doors this time. Right. And also people, I'm not sure if they'll answer them. Um, right. But, like, how, how can people help out in general, either with Move On or, or elsewhere? What, what can people do to help out before the election besides voting? Um, and right. when they do vote, how what's the most responsible way to do that or uh, I, I know it's different in every state. Right. So Move On has got um, a, a website. It's called, well, uh, the initiative is called Mobilize to Win. So it's moveon.org um, slash mobilize to win that articulates two things. One, um, there are 17 states that we've like designated as swing states that are crucial for the election. So all of our members and people who sign up through that website will get detailed communication about the voting requirements in those 17 states. Um, and other members will get through IWillVote.com and in other, in, other, in other places will get the general information um, about how to register. So you can vote by mail. If the mail doesn't like speak to you or like if you are terrified by the fact that the sitting president of the United States is willfully destroying the post office for electoral gain, you know, <laughs> in the same way you should have been upset that he was willfully intimidating a foreign government for electoral interference. I mean, you know, just cavalierly coming like hypothetically anyway. But if mail, if vote by mail terrifies you. Um, there are drop boxes, right? So the NFL and other places are doing a good job of having their arenas certified as drop-off locations or po and or polling locations. So you can organize um, in your community to do drop-offs. Um, you can take your ballot to the supervisor of elections um, for another drop-off. Uh, you can vote early. So the safest way is to vote by mail. If that's complicated for whatever reason, then you can vote early. If your state has early voting, you can go to the polls early, which unfortunately or, for, or whatever, however you want to view it, people tend not to go on the first days or so. That may be different this go around. I'm not sure. But you can go early and make sure your vote is counted. You can request a paper ballot there and make sure that, you know, because paper ballots can't be hacked. Um, machines can. You know, we know they're going to cheat. 
So we need to be aware of that. So vote by mail, um, organize drop-offs, uh, vote early, or there will be opportunities to vote in person, right, on election day. Just wear your masks, right? Like have the sanitizer, just don't touch folks. I mean, you know, we still need to be that vigilant. Um, so I would say in terms of hierarchy of safety, that's probably the best, the, the, the best that I can offer. And in terms of getting in, involved, um, you can volunteer in some states to be a poll worker even still, right? So um, there are the majority of poll workers are elderly, and we definitely don't want our, um, our seniors and our elders out in a pandemic doing this. So, you know, poll worker, sign up to be a poll worker is an option. Um, if that's not for you, um, there are campaigns. So Move On is, is doing this. Um, Swing Left has like last weekend volunteer shifts. Um, there are text banking. There's virtual phone banks. You know, Swing Left, I was on this call last night where they have this whole thing set up like phone banking for introverts, which is pretty hilarious, honestly. Um, but there are creative ways to get involved um, through online platforms. Um, to connect you to text banking or vote um, or phone banking. Uh, because one other thing I'll share is this, like I was on this call a couple weeks ago where someone, she just started phone banking. And she said that the person that she got in, she gets in touch with about probably two people per day. So two people per day for seven weeks. That's a lot of folks. And, th and think about the ripple effect of that. But two of the people that she got in touch with most recently were so touched that someone reached out to remind them to vote. Think about that, Scott. Someone was so touched. So the pandemic has reminded us that we need each other more than we thought that we did. So we may not have the opportunity to be physically connected, but me calling a stranger, being like, hi, how are you today? Um, did you know that you can still blah, 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 you know, whatever the script is, like touch this woman so much Think about the impact that'll have on other people that she talks to, right? Um, and that's just through your cell phone, right? So we, we, we have to be as creative um, as the pandemic requires us. So no knocking on doors and, or maybe not as many and who will open the doors as you said, but just because people may not open their doors, they will open their hearts if you, if you approach it with a genuine connection. If people want to get their Zen on, you know, now or, or later or, you know, <laughs> how, how do they do that with you? If they want to follow what you're doing, if they want to uh, join in, uh, how can they do that? Yeah, thank you for the questions, because one of the things we didn't talk about it too much, but I'll share briefly is that in the course of flipping the house in 2018, I did my 200 hour yoga certification in the course of impeaching the MF in 2019. I did my 300 hour certification. So for me, I did my teacher certification in the midst of like two of the most epic recent political moments in history. So I didn't know that that was preparing me to be a teacher. But when the pandemic hit, Scott, I, I noticed that I was probably one of the only people in DC, but definitely one of the only people in my yoga community that was peaceful, that was mellow. I was like, oh, okay, I just gotta wear a mask, cool. So I, I said that on like day one or two. Other folks are freaking out, thinking that the world is ending. And so that showed me, I was like, oh, man. So if you've got this piece, you've got to share it. And in fact, one of my senior teachers was like, Reggie, I love seeing you in training, but when are you going to do something with it? And I'm like, whatever, man. Like, get out of my face. <laughs> Just like, ain't no one asking you all that stuff. But anyway, I say all that to say this. Like, um, in April of this year, I launched Active Peace Yoga. So activepeaceyoga.com. 
is the uh, website that has uh, my public schedule, has some of the stuff that we've done in the news. Um, you know, I've done some articles with Yoga Journal about like the intersection between yoga and politics. Um, have done some key meditations that are on there. Uh, my public schedule is on activepeaceyoga.com. Like O Reggie Global is my Instagram and Active Peace Yoga. Um, are the two accounts that I have on Instagram. I'm an infrequent Twitterati. I'm more of a lurker than anything, so don't look I'm trying to change TV. that. I'm trying I to change that. that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's O Reggie Global also. Yeah. I, I think it's a question of when, Scott, not if. I mean, there's so many of y'all. They're just like, come on. So, right. <laughs> we need you. We need you. Positivity. <laughs> it's like some kind of wise sergeant, I, I don't know, in the peaceful uh resistance or whatever you want to call it uh i appreciate just, that just a, a warrior but like i don't know if the word is stoic or like uh, but but there's there's just something people gravitate to there's this picture that's famous in my family not everywhere else uh with where the speaker is uh you're here to her right i'm here to her left mm -hmm. and you and i i think we that was the moment that we realized oh we just he, he was what? just impeached what <laughs> what right <laughs> and and it was it was uh at the women's women's dem national club yeah, which circle. was just yeah. made it more interesting because we were um one of the few males that were in the audience lucky enough to be there lucky enough to be invited um to to that but it uh i i think sharing things like that uh, it's it's tough seeing how things are right right now but having people like you around is gonna save lives and i think that it's important to amplify voices like yours as loudly as possible because um things between and i'm not trying to be negative but it, they keep on painting it as if things are going to get worse um you know i think you have the right idea of it's only going to get worse if we let it and yep. so maybe we don't 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 uh fall into line with what trump wants us to or what you know other people who have evil intentions would want us to do um is there is there any kind of parting words for people who are who've given up resigned all hope yeah. and uh kind of kind of been like well, he he's gonna cheat he's gonna win he has russia china north korea iran like i, I how can we beat them like you have any words of wisdom for the, for those people as parting words as well yeah so i'll say i'll say two things one mom well i'll say three things one this conversation has inspired me to consider what offering regular meditation during the final month looks like. So for those people um, who want to maybe find like 15 minutes a day, look at activepeaceyoga.com. Like I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to do it now. I was t like teetering back and forth whether or not I was going to hold space. But like from September 20, so from the debate day, so 29th of September through the election, I will offer a meditative space where you can come here and or just be comfortable and grounded for 10 to 15 minutes and then go on about your day. You know what I mean? To just find that centering place. So you heard it here first. Breaking news. Yeah, Black Hippie will offer meditation from the presidential debate through because imagine how ridiculous the 29th of September is going to be. Real talk. So, <laughs> right. Exactly. So that's one. Number two is that, um, you know, y'all, just because things are crazy externally, 
doesn't mean that we have to take that on, right? So like, you know, whatever is happening outside of you, and this is more, more me meditative than anything, but hear me out. Just because you see something doesn't mean that you have to react to it. Like you're there to bear witness to it. And then by bearing witness to it, it informs your, your response but you don't have to see something and be like, oh, my God. Look, you know, so for me, when I see them cheating, I don't throw up my hands and be like, oh, my God, it's fixed. I was like, that means I got to get more people engaged. So, like, for me, I see the same data and have a different response. So rather than throw up my hands in cynicism, it actually, like, makes me more laser focused on what I need to do and what I need to say. Right. So so rather than use the information that you receive as a cynical lens, uh, through a cynical lens, for me, it inspires me and it actually makes me so the speeches that I give or the briefings that I give are informed by that. So like if they're going to cheat, I've got to be like mega black hippie and speak to your heart and soul and get you like fired up because like that's what cut through the crap. Right. That's like you being like, yeah like gets you over the like cheating so what i'm gonna fly you know what i mean so like, <laughs> yeah. my, like it's my job to like get you so into the heart space that you stop analyzing and that you start dreaming and reimagining what the society's supposed to look like right so like so that's the other thing i'll say and lastly look i'm rooted in the stories of my ancestors right so you know like i'm black um and among other things but my family's from southern virginia my grandmother's grandfather, his first family was sold. Sold as slaves, like sold. So the, I have kin out there that I, I, I don't know, I, I won't know about on this side of glory, right? So I mentioned that because his progeny is a senior political strategist in one of the most ridiculous times in our history. He could not vote, but six, seven generations later, not only can I vote, I can speak freely, and I can speak freely by mentioning Grandpa Moore. He still lives through me, and that's what inspires me, right? So um, I can't even imagine what it was, must have been like to have your family sold and not be able to do anything about it. That was the United States in 18, like pre-1865. So through the evolutionary nature of the human experience and through like some of the messiest times in American history, generationally, I, his, his legacy, am living things that, you know, I'm quite literally my ancestor's wildest dream. You know, Yale educated, have a master's degree from me, whatever, like who cares about all that stuff? But like, over the course of our history, when we lean into the mess, when we think about in what inspires us as opposed to what scares us, that progress is possible. And if it's possible in my lived experience, imagine what we can accomplish when we think, think in this way together. ActivePeaceYoga.com. Find some <laughs> zen. I, I am myself. I'm not sure if y'all are aware or not, but I meditate at least an hour a day. It makes the rest of the day much better, um, and it enables me to focus. So I highly recommend it. Um, Reggie is is phenomenal at this, and and I think these words of wisdom. I think I think this will really help get people in the gear and uh, in the final sprint here. So I really appreciate you taking so much of your uh, time with me because 
Um, you know, our, our time is obviously precious on this earth, but um, speaking of the earth, the 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 world is obviously a, a better place with you in it, and and I can't thank you enough for all you do. And that's not I don't butter people up. I'm not trying. I know I, that. I know that for a fact. <laughs> but but I mean, uh, it's just it it really is something. Uh, people gravitate to you for a reason, and. And I think that uh, your experience in, in your life um, being shared with others and, and the truth and your truth is going to change the world even more than you already have. And so thank you for, for speaking for the, the billions of people who cannot speak for themselves across the world and, and for, for continuing to do that. And I appreciate also the announcement of activepeaceyoga.com uh, where you can go visit that and get your yoga on leading up to the election because, again... Things might get frustrating, but when you hit that midday, like I think we did that, I think we did that that never it's nation or something. Yeah, midday yep, yep. meditation and uh, where you can get your Zen on because even it doesn't take much time. You think you don't have the time, but all of a sudden, if you get that reset on, you feel a little bit better. So, so Reggie, again, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate Absolutely. it, and and thank you for all you do. I look forward to seeing you at the finish line. All right, brother, love and grace. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Reggie Hubbard for joining us on the pod. You can follow our producer, Grant Stern, at Grant Stern. You can visit our website at dwarfandreport.com. We are almost at the end of the road here. Let's cross that finish line. Let's sprint through it. Let's do this. Let's win this thing. Onward!